Hello, and welcome to Tour of Truth with Krista and Company. And today's company, we are so thrilled to have with us Sue Preby, and she is the pastor of City of Hope in Janesville, Wisconsin. And we are actually on location right now in Jerusalem, Israel. We also have Tina Grant. Hi. And Teresa Gardner. Hello. And so we have been learning so much on our journey here in Israel, and Sue has been a part of our pilgrimage over here, and she's actually been teaching as well from some of the locations we've been visiting. And today, we were in the Shepherd's Field in Bethlehem, and we visited the Church of the Angels, and we actually sang in this church, Mm -hmm. and the acoustics are unbelievable. We sounded like a professional choir, I have to say, but trust me, that was a far stretch for us outside (laughs) of the church. (laughs) It was great, though. But it was wonderful, and the blessing that we had from Sue's teaching, we did not want to keep that to ourselves. We felt like this has to be shared, and so... It would be an honor and a privilege for us, Sue, if you would take us through that study that you shared this afternoon. Thank you. I'd be glad to do that. My heart is to have people read the Bible and think about what they read so that even in the most familiar stories, we can ask questions and see things that we would otherwise miss. And that's the situation in this very familiar story from Luke chapter 2. Chapter 2, 1 to 6 tells us how Mary and Joseph traveled to Bethlehem for the census But God had orchestrated that so that Jesus would be born in Bethlehem, exactly where the prophets said the Messiah would be born. And I just want to say what's exciting to me about where you're going is that all of us here on this journey, before we got here and heard this story that you're about to share, were under the impression that most of us in in the church today, I think, are, which is that Jesus was born in a manger, probably in a smelly stable, and everybody just needs to listen up. Sue's got another version to consider. Thank you. Micah 5, 2 prophesied that Jesus would be born in Bethlehem. And you think with all that planning, God could have arranged a really nice place for them, a hotel room, maybe a little spa. It wasn't an accident that the rooms were all taken. There was no room because God had a plan for a specific place where Jesus had to be born in a specific manger or stall or cave. We don't know exactly which it was. Let's look at the familiar story in Luke chapter 2. Would you read that, please? Yes. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths, lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, on earth peace to those whom favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has just happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard were amazed at what the shepherds had said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had just heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. And let me ask you real quick, what version were you reading from there? Oh, this is the NIV. NIV, okay, because my version in the New King James says that part of the sign was that he would be in swaddling clothing. Mm -hmm. And I think that might be important here as well. That is an important (laughs) detail. Yes, it is. 
So as we hear this very familiar story, what questions should we really be asking ourselves that we don't even think about? I actually gave a similar message in my church right before Christmas, and Christmas comes and you think, okay, what should I talk about this Christmas to make it different? And I started asking some questions. I thought, were these shepherds just lucky to have been out in the field that particular night when Jesus was born? And why did the angel pick them? Why announce to shepherds of all people? There were many, many people around Bethlehem because many were there for the census. And then most of the time when the angels appeared, most people got one angel. And these shepherds had a vast host, which means the armies of heaven appeared. Wow. I love that. Mm -hmm. And then why was the fact that the baby in a manger, how was that a sign to these shepherds? How did they know where to find Jesus? They did not get any directions, yet they said, as you read, Mm -hmm. they just went and found exactly where Jesus was. Right. So how did these shepherds know it? Who were these guys is really the question. And it wasn't that they just happened to be there. These were very special shepherds. And God chose them for a very specific reason. When we are in the center of God's will, when we are walking with him, he chooses us specifically. He orchestrates things, just like you're speaking of, with the shepherds. Yes, he does. He is a God of details. And we really see that in this story. Because if we look at verse 16, other than Bethlehem, there were no other directions given to the shepherds as to where to find Jesus. And they found him. As I did a little bit of research, Bible scholars note a place called Migdal Idar. If I'm saying that correctly in Hebrew, probably not. It's also referred to in the word as the watchtower. And there were a special group of shepherds who tended sheep there in that area. Micah chapter 4 verse 8 refers to this place. In verse 8 it says, And you, O tower of the flock, the stronghold of the daughter of Zion, to you shall it come, even the form of dominion shall come, the kingdom of the daughter of Jerusalem. So the tower of the flock mentioned in Micah chapter 4 in Hebrew is that Migdal Idar. And let me tell you who these shepherds were. Because of the temple worship that went on in Jerusalem, and Jerusalem was probably about five miles from Bethlehem, The fields outside of Bethlehem is where they raised the sheep that would be sacrificed at the temple. So this special group of shepherds would raise these lambs and prepare them. They would examine them and make sure they were pure and exactly the right way to be used for the sacrifice. They themselves were under rabbinical care. That would mean there were strict rules that they had to follow. And even in the places that the ewes would birth the lambs had to be ceremonially clean. Whether it was a stable, a stall, again a cave, we aren't exactly sure. But it was a special birthing place. This tower of the flock was where they brought the ewes when it was time for them to birth the lambs. Mm. Otherwise, the shepherds were in the fields with the sheep probably 24-7 until it was time for the births to come about. And this is probably the place that Joseph took Mary. Not a stinky old barn with a bunch of donkeys and and sheep and everything else that they leave behind. And not just happenstance. You not know that just there was happenstance. that there was no room in the end. Because when you read that verse, that Micah four eight verse, what does it call it? The the watchtower of the flock? Yes. The tower of the flock, and some places it is called watchtower. And that it's prophesying where it is that Jesus would be born. Yes, exactly. I mean think about it that Jesus could have been born exactly where hundreds, probably thousands of little lambs were born 
who represented the sacrifice he was going to make right. when he was born on this earth. That is an amazing thing. And another thing you shared that I thought was really profound was about the swaddling clothing. And I'm probably jumping you far ahead. Am I? No, that's, that's, <laughs> that's right where we are. So it says that after they heard the message from the angels, they went straight to where Jesus was. They weren't given directions. They weren't given a map. They weren't given anything except this will be a sign to you. Well, what kind of a sign is you will find a baby wrapped in strips of cloth, some say swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. That wouldn't be a sign to me. Mm-hmm. Right. That wouldn't be a sign to anybody except these specific shepherds because they recognized something that they did very often. Once a baby lamb was born, they had to examine that lamb to make sure that they were clean, that they were uninjured, that they were pure, that they were perfect. And then in order to keep them that way, oftentimes they would wrap them in swaddling clothes or claws to make sure they didn't get injured. That, that completely gives me cold chills. It does. And that is why it's so important that we search the scripture. Yes. And that we don't take somebody else's word for it. You know, and so many times we rely on our pastor or just someone else that's teaching. And we just assume that they know that they're giving us the correct information. But we've learned this, you know, just really searching the scripture, how important that is. Well, because that particular story for us in the Bible, it's rich in itself. However it was that he was born, you know, just there's so much there when we take the story just at face value but there's a deeper level there's just a deeper level and that's what we're looking at when we hear this and go to the scriptures and confirm that this makes sense one other thing that i'll add to that i think where you started sue is the fact that one of your principles that you're trying to teach people is to ask questions when you're reading the bible ask questions and this is a new thing for me that I've just started doing as well, that I feel like what you inspired me is to ask lots of different questions just with one verse and don't just take it for what it's being read. And I know that my pastor has been trying to drive us to do that as well. And I just don't think we even know how to do that. And hearing just how you are processing it is very helpful. And I hope it's helpful to others as well because it starts to probe you. Right. And, you know, when we're thinking about asking those questions, I think it's also important to consider that we need to be asking the Holy Spirit to reveal to us, you know, because we can ask those questions within the church as well, because the Bible tells us that there's wisdom in a multitude of counsel, and we should go to our pastors, and we should talk about these things and search the scriptures with our small groups, but we can ask the Holy Spirit to reveal to us. We can just talk to God and have a conversation and say, I don't understand what I'm reading in your word, or there's something else here I know there is, and help help me understand. Amen. We have so many good resources. Online, there are so many good resources. Some of the details I found about shepherds, I found online. But then the important thing is, does it line up with Scripture? Right. Then you go back to the Scripture. I thought, well, I didn't hear ever about this Migdal Edar place and had to find if it really was in Scripture. And once it was, things just started coming together and they made sense. Mm -hmm. But we do have to be careful to make sure that what we are bringing from what we hear, someone asked me today, like, how do we know if it really is true? How do we know if a source we're looking at is valid? And it's always if it lines up with the word. That's our filter. That has to be. Have you ever thought about moving to Greenville and starting a church? (laughs) No. (laughs) Well, I think that would be incredible, so. (laughs) Well, thank you. 
So but clearly, for those listening that don't live in Greenville, we obviously are from Greenville, so. <laughs> <laughs> South Carolina. And all these details are very interesting, but the question is, what does this show us that we can relate to our lives about the character of God? Mm, right. And that's the important thing as we read these things. It's nice to have the information but then what do we do with it? Mm-hmm. It's not like, oh, I know some trivia about the Bible nobody else knows. How does that show me about who God is? Right. And we can relate this and to see if God could orchestrate all of this. Just think he had to have the government have a census just at this time. When Mary was about to deliver. Right. Now, how does that happen? He is a God of details, and we have to understand that he's the same way in our lives, that we can trust him with the details of our lives because he has it all in his hand. And we worry so much about details and circumstances and how am I going to do this and how is this going to work out instead of spending my time, and I include myself in this, spending my time just seeking to know God more, know Mm -hmm. the one who has all the details. There's such a peace in that if we can relax and know I have a God I can trust with every detail of my life. And even in the difficult circumstances, I have a God who has the end figured out and I know he's good. And so I know it's going to be okay. Amen. Okay, Psalm 37 verses three to five in the New King James says, trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and feed on his faithfulness. Delight yourself also in the Lord, and he shall give you the desires of your heart. That means God's not going to give me what I want. It means he's going to change my heart so my desires match his desires. And then it concludes with commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass. So that when we serve the Lord, it means we commit our way to a God who is trustworthy, to know that he is going to bring to pass, he'll take care of what we need way more than we could ever ask or think. Amen. Pastor Sue, I know that we were only planning to talk about that, and I know that you have this top secret message for tomorrow because we are headed to the pools of Bethesda, and I am just curious, would you be willing to give us a a sneak peek into tomorrow's teaching? I'll give you a little hint. (laughs) Jesus came to the pools of Bethesda. And for those listening, can you give a little overview of what happened generally at the pools of Bethesda so they'll understand? Sure. It seems that this was really a supernatural place, that a lot of sick people gathered around this place, and periodically an angel would come and they stir the waters, and the first one in would be healed. So there was a man there, 38 years, couldn't walk. Jesus comes upon this. There's all these people there. He comes to one man and says, do you want to be well? Do you want to be healed? When I read that, I say, what kind of a question is that to ask somebody? And I started to think about that. I thought, why would he ask that man? Did that man enjoy being sick? This is not really borne out in the scripture. It's really my perception. So it's not a thus saith the Lord. But you know, with freedom comes responsibility. This man, for 38 years of his life, had very little responsibility. People probably brought him food. They probably brought him to this place. He was probably an official beggar who had a license to beg. So he never had to work. He never had to really do anything. And if you notice, when Jesus asked him the question, he doesn't even answer it. He starts whining is what he does. 
And Jesus totally ignores that. If I remember the scripture correctly, he says that other people have stepped over him to get in first. Is that correct? That is exactly correct. He said, how can I? You know, I'm too slow. He must crawl or however he gets over there, drag himself to the pool. Somebody else steps in. And so here I am lying here for 38 years. Poor me. Poor me is really what yes. it was. And Jesus he really ab- had a right to say poor me, because honestly, that's a terrible position to be in. You know? I can understand that. For yes. 38 years, it's not like he could walk and is pretending he can't. He literally is crippled. And Jesus ignores it and just says, get up and walk. And the amazing thing is the guy does it. So he recognizes in Jesus some kind of authority that goes over all of his whining, all of his complaining, and it's like, yes, sir, that's what I'm going to do. And he gets up and walks away. I can totally relate to that because uh, five years ago when the Lord really transformed my life, I remember just finding myself laying flat in the floor in my bathroom. And I remember those words, get up. And I did. I got up and I just remember looking in the mirror and thinking, you know, it starts here with me. I know the Holy Spirit was speaking. I know that. You were broken. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And I believe that, you know, that's when God just really turned the light on for me. Because prior to that, so many times I did just like the man in the pool. I wanted a change. I wanted things. But I was I was kind of the whiner and the beggar. I mean, who is it? You know, when we're really not willing to to surrender what we want and to accept God's will. And I believe that when we do that, that's when he is able to really tell us to get up, you know. That's very true. When we can put this to our own lives, I think the Lord is asking all of us now, do you want the change that I can give you? No matter where we are, it doesn't have to be a physical ailment. Do you want to go the next step further in maturity? Will you count the cost? Because he was really asking the man, will you count the cost? for this healing? Will you pay? Are you willing to pay the cost for what I want to give you? And I think the Lord says the same thing to his people today. Another thing I want to add to this is that so many times I walked to the cross, but I never got on it. You know, I just, I never wanted that that part of it. Mm -hmm. You know, it was just like, I would like, oh, well, you know, maybe that's not so comfortable. And you just kind of move along and kind of, Teresa, you're preaching over here now. (laughs) I'm just telling you, you know, this is truth about my life, you know, and I just, I can praise God that he's completely changed my life. I love that. And what better place to be talking about this is in Israel. And this is um, another blessing and a miracle in itself that I'm here and getting to witness this and see this because so many nights, and Krista can testify to this, that I was out in my front yard. I didn't care who came along, who saw me, or who thought I was crazy, but just praising the Lord with my hands stretched up, telling the Lord that I wanted to see his land. And this was months, way many months before. Before it was really even an option. Right, before, before we even, even been talked about, about this. I mean, we didn't even know about this. So I just feel like that God hears the prayers of a righteous man. You know, that's what's brought me here. And, and we're just, righteous because yeah. we put on the righteousness of Christ. Right, you know, when we right. repent, it's a daily walk. Every time if we stumble along the way, we go back to that place of repentance because the Holy Spirit convicts us and draws us. And we're in this process of sanctification. But we are continually walking and being led by the Spirit, which keeps us in that place where our prayers will be heard. Amen. That's true. And the first time I know you're going to have the same experience I had the last time I went to the garden tomb. And I stood and looked at the hill that may be Golgotha. And for the first time, I looked at it and said, that's where I was crucified. That's where I died. 
I know it's going to be really moving when you go there and see that and have that experience, that revelation that you had in your own home. But that's a revelation we have to have, that we were crucified with Christ, and now he lives. And the more that I die, the more he can live. So it's going to be amazing In a couple of days, we will be in that garden tomb and we will see the place where not only Jesus died for us, but we were crucified. We died there, our flesh, so that we can live a whole new life. We appreciate your teaching so much. Would you mind closing us in prayer? I would be blessed to do that. Father, we bless your name. You are an amazing and a loving Father. And I pray that every single person who is hearing this will recognize how much they are loved by you, how much you can be trusted, how much you are a God who will take care of every detail in their lives. I pray, Father, that you would minister to those who maybe feel crippled, who feel alone, who feel lost, just like that man at the pools of Bethesda, who felt helpless, and Jesus reached out his hand and said, it's time to get up. Father, I pray for each person in that situation right now and say, rise and walk. It's time to walk on with the Lord. We thank you, Father, for your word. We thank you for the instruction it gives us. We thank you for the life and the hope and the blessing it is in our lives. I pray a blessing on every single one who's hearing this now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Praise you, Jesus. If you'd like to hear this message again, or if you'd like to play another one, you can find us at touroftruth.com. We'll look forward to chatting with you again soon. Mm